I was 13 years old in Newport News, Virginia, and I loved the idea of driving. Any of you ever have that feeling when you were 13? I just couldn't wait to drive. They didn't, it didn't happen soon enough, so I had a brother that kind of gave me a chance. He had a, he had a Corvair Monza. Does anybody know what a Corvair is? Corvair is a little bitty car that was built back in, the, I think, in the 60s or 70s, and, and, uh, and Ralph Nader got them off the market because a lot of people got killed in them. Uh, he, he, he marched against it, and a lot of people got killed in these Corvairs and severely injured. In fact, I know people that did. So my brother had one. It's kind of a cool car to have. Now it's an antique car. It's a little car. And it was a five-speed Corvair Mons. It was orange with a black top, and it was convertible. So my dream came true that day. I always wanted to drive a car, but I'd never driven a car on the road before, 13 years old. So my brother said, Mark, I think you're old enough. Me and my brother had a pretty good connection. He said, I want you to drive this car from the toddle house, which is kind of like a waffle house. You may know what a waffle house is or kind of like a little breakfast place, you know. From there back to my house, which is about four miles. And so I got in the front seat and I get that thing and I kind of shifted it a little bit. And he said, put the clutch in. I put the clutch in. Right, he said, put it in gear. I put it in gear. He said, now give it a little gas and then pop the clutch real slow. So I gave it a little gas and I popped the clutch and that thing started moving. And I got out and I didn't change gears. I stayed in first gear for five blocks because I was not going to try to shift gears. And I came to a stoplight and I was turning left and I'm sitting there and everything's fine. I'm trying to remember that, you know, what I did to get that thing going, you know, and, and I'm sitting there and as I sat there, a cop pulls up on the other side, looking at me right in the face. And you know, when that happened, I knew I had to give it some gas and pop the clutch, right? And so when the light turned green, of course, my brother is my anxious coach because he sees the cop too. And he's letting his 13-year-old brother drive, and I don't think he's sure who's going to get the ticket, him or me. I think he thought it might have been him, so he's telling me, all right, Mark, all right, Mark, there's a cop over there. I, I didn't need you. It's like when you're playing golf, you don't need somebody to tell you, there's water right there. <laughs> don't tell me that. And he said, there's a cop right there. I said, no, I know that. He said, now put it in here, okay. The light, you know, it's a green arrow, so all the cars are turning around me, and there's five behind me, and they start blowing their horns, and the cops, so all these things, all this anxiety, all this nervous energy's flying around, and it's just getting worse. You know how that happens when things get bad. It just gets worse and worse and worse, and you feel more and more, more and more alarmed. And, and finally, I just floored it and popped the clutch. And the car went, whoo! And then when that happened, I saw that was too fast. I put the clutch back in and went, whoo! And I said, he said, give us some gas. I gave us some gas. He said, now pop the clutch. Whoo! Whoo! So right around. Whoo! 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 Anybody ever drive a five-speed like that? You know how it's just like, and the problem was, I knew I was supposed to pop the clutch, but when I popped the clutch, it scared me. So I put it back in. That's what revivals do to people too often. They know they're supposed to take a step further. They know they're supposed to jump up there higher. They know they're supposed to accelerate their faith, and they do it for a week. And then they get scared. And then they push the clutch in. And then the next revival comes around, they pop the clutch, and you're just like, in our Christian faith. And God doesn't want that. So what I want to challenge you to do tonight is I want to challenge you to pop the clutch. Somebody sit, turn to the person next to you and say, I want you to pop the clutch tonight. Tell them, pop the clutch tonight. Well, my daddy um, was a pretty nice man, but he expected when he asked you to do something, he expected you to do that thing. 
So my daddy, he, one time he went to work and it was on, on a Saturday and he said, son, he said, the grass hasn't been cut for two weeks and today your job is to cut that grass. Yes, sir. So my dad left for work and I was all anxious to cut the grass. I knew I was supposed to cut the grass. And uh, it was early when he told me that. It was about 7.30 in the morning. So I figured I could go in and you know, kind of lay down and relax a little bit and then cut the grass later. And I did. And then I woke up at about 9 in the morning and my mother said, Mark, come in here and peel potatoes. Now that was a common practice in my home as a young man because we ate a lot of potatoes. We had potato soup, potato salad, potato cakes, baked potato, boiled potato, fried potato, every kind of magic potato. We had a lot of potatoes. I ate more potatoes than any human ought to consume in a lifetime because we didn't have much money. We had potatoes. And I loved all those potatoes. But the problem is when you have 13 kids and two parents, when you have 15 people in the home and you have potatoes for every meal, that's a lot of peeling and a lot of slicing and a lot of chopping. And back then you didn't have these little fancy things. You had to peel the potato with a butcher knife. And man, my mom would just beat me if I cut more than a sixteenth of an inch off of that skin. And it was, has anybody ever tried to peel a potato with a butcher knife? That's the way we did it back then. They didn't have those little funny little newfangled technological things. So I come in there and it took me about three hours to peel those potatoes. And then my mom said, you go make your bed. And I said, Mom, Daddy wants me to cut the grass. She said, you can cut the grass later. Go make your bed. I went and made my bed. And then when I came out, my little brother said, I want you to help me with this math test I'm studying for. And I said, oh, I, I thought, I knew I needed to cut the grass, but I went ahead and helped him with the math test. And Man, then I, then, then I got busy doing other things. I mean, I got, I got to paint in my little sister's room. And man, I, I mean, I just got so much done. And then my daddy came home. And when my daddy came home, I was in the kitchen and I was slicing the pie for dinner. My dad walks in the kitchen because he had to kind of walk through the grass to get to the kitchen. And he said to me, he said, Mark, what in the world are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm helping mom with supper. I didn't tell you to help mom with supper. I told you to cut the grass. I know, daddy, but I was tired when you left home and I had a nap. He said, I didn't tell you to take a nap. I told you to cut the grass. I said, well, I know, daddy, I wanted to do it and then I... Then, then mom want me to cut potatoes, and you like potatoes. I didn't tell you to cut potatoes. I told you to cut the grass. I said, Daddy, you don't understand. He said, son, I asked you to do one thing, and, and you didn't do that thing. So my daddy, he, he was a barber, and he had one of those things that you sharpen the knife with on the, the, you know those long strap, the belts? You know, a lot of kids in these days, they get corrected verbally. There's all kinds of levels of correction, right? And that's kind of like the sissy version, the verbal correction. I see people get verbally correct. They just whine and cry like they've been whooped nearly to death. My dad didn't do much verbal correction. That was like, that was like, you know, that was like, that was like the, the training wheels of correction, verbal correction. That's kind of the beginning thing, you know. So I got that. And then he, then he pulls off his belt. And when my dad pulled off his belt, he had a way of doing that. You could hear it. You know, and then it would kind of snap at the end, kind of like a you know, whip, you know. And he said, kneel over, son. And my dad didn't mess around. Now, some people got verbal corrections. And I hear some kids, they say, they get, they get paddlings. Paddlings? Well, that'll really change your behavior. And then other kids, they get, they get spankings. So you're going from verbal to paddling to spankings. And then other people, they get whoopings. Now, we got some whoopings, but my dad didn't believe in any of that stuff. He believed in beatings. 
He called it that. He says, I'm, you're going to get a beating tonight. Now, that's, that's abuse today. You can go to jail for even saying stuff like that to your kids. But back then, he didn't just say it. He did it. And he beat me. Oh, it was so bad. I could hardly lay on my back for a couple days. But I want to tell you something. All I thought about for the next three years of my life was grass. <laughs> I'd see it in my dreams, in my sleep. I'd see it when I was walking down the street. I'd be in school taking a test, and I'd see grass. That, that got in my brain. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is, um, some of you have made some promises this week. God's called you to do some things. He's called you to commit to some things. We've had a lot of invitations and had a lot of altar calls, and we, 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 we made some, I think that many of us have made commitments. One of my great fears is that we don't follow through on those. That we have a nice week and have a good time, and we, you know, we get to come and hear some preaching, sing some songs, and yeah, it kind of makes us feel, you know, sometimes Nazarenes like somebody just spank on them so they feel good they got beat up a little bit this week, and then they get on back to their lives. But what we really need is to actually turn that into action. Amen. Turn it into action. So tonight, since tomorrow night I'm going to be preaching a message on evangelism, I hope that you are inviting some, some people that are pre-Christians to come, and maybe God will do something amazing tomorrow night. Plus, besides that, maybe heal some people too. But tonight... It's kind, of like a, it's kind of like what next night? Now, I have a friend, he's an Asian guy, and he, he plays golf with me sometimes. And he was playing with one of my friends, the district superintendent of Southern California. And this, this district superintendent told me one day, he said he was teaching him how to putt. His name was Lee, this friend. And so Lee said, show, show me how, 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 how I putt, how I putt. And so he said, well, you got to put the ball on your left foot, all the weight on the left side of your foot. Because if you don't, you'll hit the ground otherwise and do that. He said, then you got to have the ball right below your eyes. Drop the ball. That's where that putter should be. And he said, and he said oh, that's good. He says, then your left hand just kind of is, that's the one that gives you direction. The right hand gives you speed. So once you get over there and you got your left hand on, all you got to think about is how hard. That's all you think about. You got to line. And, and Lee says, very good, very good. And Lee hit the ball and it went like 35 feet past the hole in the wrong direction. And, uh, and, and my friend said to him, he said, Lee, that was a good putt. It, it just wasn't anywhere around the hole. <laughs> and uh, Lee said, ooh, John, he said, no, easy, do hard. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, no, easy, do hard, do hard. So, I got to tell you that I struggled with the decision early in my ministry whether to go into the field of, of itinerant evangelism. I felt like maybe I might have had that gift, you know, as a young man. But I don't think it was because I had the gift. I think that the churches that I was a youth pastor in, the people in them thought that I preached so strong that nobody could tolerate it every Sunday. <laughs> So they would encourage me to go into evangelism. That way, you know, it would be easier for me to handle the, you know, the, the stuff that I was saying. And so I kind of entertained that idea. And, and I started doing some evangelism. I started traveling around. And, you know, I did things. I'd go, I'd spoke at some camps. And I spoke at some churches. And I did revivals. And I did some, some Sunday school conventions. And I was just having a wonderful time. My, my, my church let me have a little time off. I was a youth pastor. And I got to go about maybe one week a month. They let me go out and preach. And that was good. And, and I kept, I kept getting invited back to this one church every year. It was in Hollywood, Florida. 
I, and I love those people. They became dear friends of mine. See, I had done a youth ministry there when I was in college, and we kind of got to know each other. And so when I got ordained, they wanted to call me back to preach in their church. And, and I'd come back, and I'd just preach my guts out for a week. I'd just, I'd just man, I'd leave it all in there. I, it was all there. I had no energy, nothing left when I left. And, 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 uh, and they would, ch- man, that'd be a great week. People would come and get saved. In fact, there were times when people would get, come right off the street, come in the sanctuary and find Jesus that night. And it was wonderful. I thought, God's changed that church. And they called me back next year. Next year, I come back, and they were exactly like they were before I came to last year. None of the people that had gotten saved were followed up on. Nobody discipled them. Nobody responded with practicality in what they had said they were going to do. And I'd do the same thing the next week. And I'd preach my guts out. I'd preach my heart out. And then before you know it, I'd go out in the neighborhood and start inviting people. People start coming to church. Sometimes we'd go out and do canvassing in the neighborhood. We'd get people in. People get saved. They'd get excited. We had good music, man. The altars would be lying. People would be bawling and squalling and screaming, hollering, spitting and slobbering. They'd have a wonderful time. Come back the next year. They were exactly like they were before I came the previous year. This happened for about four years. Finally, I had to be really, really honest with those people. I said, guys, I really don't have the time or the energy and nor do you for us to waste another week together. If you're not going to do something with what we've learned in our week of revival, I, I'm really not coming back to preach anymore in your church. And I, some of them got mad at me. I mean, they still invited me back. I didn't come. But some of them kind of got mad at me. And I, I got to tell you, I think I was madder at them than they were at me. Because they thought this thing was just some kind of a nice fun week. You know, kind of like, let's come together. Let's go to the theme park for a week and have a good time. Guys, I want to tell you something. What we're doing is very serious business. Because there's a lot of people that are around us that are going to go to hell for eternity. And how we respond to what God says to us will have a huge impact on what happens in the kingdom of God. Jesus died so that you and I could have an impact on our communities. That's why he died. He didn't just die so we could come and have a great time in church. He, I mean, that's good. We like that. He died so that the world would be saved. And the church is here for one single purpose, and that is, to, you, know what the, you know what the vision of the church in Nazarene is? Everybody know what it is? Here, here it is. It's to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. All right, let's say that together. The vision of the church is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. That's the vision. That's, that's what we're here for. That's our mission, right? And so... I want to just, I believe God wants to do something in this church. And I think we've had, I think this has been one of the greatest revivals I've ever been a part of. Amen. I'm just going to tell you, I do. And uh, that just proves that God can use an idiot. You know, and, and, uh, and he can use normal people. And that's because that's what he's done this week. He's just showed up. He's been here all week. But I don't want him to leave. I don't want him to leave even a little bit. I don't want him to leave just even a smidgen. I don't even want him to leave if you're from the northeast, even a skosh. I want the power of God to just keep getting bigger and bigger and better and better. I want it to be greater and greater and more and more excited every day. I don't want it to ever stop in Rosewood. And I believe that God's got some people here that are ready to do some things. It's been amazing to watch what God's done in some of your lives. I've prayed for somebody. It's been wonderful. So the question tonight that I want to address is, what next? What next? What do we do next? Uh, At the end of this revival, when Friday night is over and we're all done and we go home, what's going to happen on Saturday? Uh, the human being, the human nature, would, would, would tend to settle with, well, I'll just go back to my life. It's been wonderful. We had a great time. We had a guy yell at us for five or six nights, and we had fun, and we had some good music. But it's time to get back to life. Don't ever go back to life. Go back to living. Go back to living for Jesus. Amen. Or the question is, what action are we going to undertake to ensure that the blessings and energy from this time last forever? You get to decide that.
You get to choose whether revival lasts forever. You, you do. It's your choice. Because I promise you, God wants to bring it. He wants to revive us. I promise you. He can't wait to revive. He wants to raise up a church that's going to have an impact on this community that's going to actually reach lost people, not just get a bunch of mad Christians to come in. Somebody say amen. amen. So what does the Scripture say? What I'm talking about is moving from, moving from, from vision or from a dream to action. See, we have this disconnect in the church today. At least, I'm not sure about Canada, but in the United States, everybody knows they're supposed to be reaching lost people for Jesus. We all know it. They all know it. If you were to ask them, they'd all tell you our, our mission. They know the mission. They could actually quote that mission statement to you, most Nazarenes in the U.S. But there's this disconnect between our aspirations and, our, and what happens and the results. We all want to see people come to Jesus, but not many people are coming to Jesus. And so the question is, what, what happens in between that vision and that, and, and that result to make that result happen? I'm going to give a, a phrase to you. Here's a phrase. It's called organizational seriousness. Organizational seriousness. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down. Organizational seriousness. What is organizational seriousness? Here's organizational seriousness. I could tell you for three months that I'm going to take a trip a road trip with my daughter. And we could talk about it and think about it and celebrate it and just get it and just have a great time talking about it. But if I don't buy a ticket or buy some gas or rent some hotels or make some plans, that trip is not going to happen. So, so what's happening in the church is we have these great aspirations, but there's a huge disconnect between our aspirations and what gets done, the results. So what I want to suggest to you tonight is tonight's message is really designed for us to start thinking about what organizational serious actions, behaviors, and, and, and habits am I going to change so that I can move forward in my faith and so this revival can continue on? Uh, we don't like that. We, we don't like thinking about actually changing stuff. We'd rather just kind of get blessed and have fun. I mean, just be, let's just be honest. We'd rather just kind of get together and have a good time, enjoy each other's company, and then you can kind of go home and everything's fine. Well, did church. Uh, but see, God wants us to actually get some stuff done. That's why he sent a son to seek and to save the lost so that the world through him could be saved. Amen. So we're talking about turning these commitments. Many of you this week have made some commitments and you've prayed some prayers and some of you got it under conviction for certain things and you've said, I'd like to do better. What I want to do tonight is I want to see you actually make some decisions to actually do better. Not just like to do better. Not just want to do better. Not just come to the altar and make a prayer and say, I'm going to do better and go back home. But I want us, I want us to leave the survival saying, I'm going to change a behavior. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to change a behavior. Go ahead, tell them. They do. Everybody does. Everybody needs to change behavior. Turn to the other. Now you turn back to that guy and that person and say, you need to change your habit. <laughs> Tell somebody next to you, say, something's got to go in your life. <laughs> Amen. So what we're talking about tonight is action. Now, just in case you get confused, I'm not talking about works salvation. I'm talking about salvation that works. Salvation that actually, a, a kind of salvation that doesn't just have a proclamation, but it has a transformation. It actually does something for you instead of just doing something to you. So we have a lot of times we get together and God does a lot of stuff for us. But he doesn't do anything to us, therefore we don't have an impact on our world. So, so I want to share with you some scriptures. Uh, what does the scripture say about action? I want to share some scripture with you. I'll tell you what it says about action, a great deal about action. There are three passages, I'm going to share with you about five, 
But I want us to read three of them together. Would you stand with me? We're going to read Galatians 5.25. We're going to read three scriptures together, and, and it'll be fun and enjoyable. I want to see how good. I want you to kind of read scripture where it crescendos higher and louder towards you get the end, instead of getting softer and quieter. All right, let's try it. You ready? Galatians 5.25. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I want you to pause for a minute. Listen to what he says. So who's he talking about? The people that belong to Christ. What do they do? They nail their passions and their desires of their sinful nature to the cross. In other words, they put them there and they leave them there. That's what, that's what the people of God do. That's what those who, have, who belong to Jesus Christ do. So I'm going to challenge you tonight to take some things, some passions, some desires, some attitudes, some, some sins, some behaviors, some habits, and I want you to give them to Jesus tonight and, and nail them to the cross and leave them there. And then he says, since, let's say it together, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Guys, that's action. He's not talking about him doing something for you. He's talking about doing something to you. Next scripture, Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Let's say it together. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, hold on, what's the qualifier? Who's he talking about? The people that want to be his followers, right? How many of you want to be his follower or are his follower? Good, I guess unanimous, all right? If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Hold on, what is that? Habits, actions, behaviors, and systems, right? Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with all his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to what they say. According to their deeds. Deeds. Whoa. It sounds like Jesus believes in work salvation. No, he doesn't. He know, here's what Jesus knows. He says if God's done something to you, it's going to change what you do. It's going to change your behavior. You can be seated. I'll read the next one uh, to you. See, there's this tension. uh, When Jesus lived, there was this real tension theologically. See, the Greeks believed in dualism. In other words, they believed that God was spirit and man was flesh, and never could the two come together. Jesus just blew that theory completely out of the water because he was all God and all man. He just blew it out of the water. So the Greeks came up with this, this, this theology called Gnosticism. Where they believed that Jesus wasn't really a man. He was just kind of a ghost. He wasn't really physical. And then others believe he was physical, but he was a lie. He wasn't really living as holy as he said he was. So they created this theology that, that had Jesus kind of going into different, different levels of reality until he finally became a man. That's why in John it says, That which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands, which we have heard, uh, that which is the life of God. And that life came and dwelt among us. And made his presence among us. So John in both the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John remind us that Jesus was physical. He was real. Well, that freaked the Greeks out. They didn't think it was possible because they thought if the gods touched a man, the god would be corrupted or the man would be killed. And if a man touched a god, that god would be corrupted or he would be killed. So they didn't think it was, that's dualism. 
In other words, they believed that you can, you can have good intentions and good thoughts and good ideas, but it could not play out in your life because all matter was evil and all spirit was good. So there was the, never the two could meet. So they believed in this theology that what you say didn't have to happen in your life. And what you do on Sunday didn't have to happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's dualism. You're okay. We're just all sinful, wicked people, and there's no way God can fix us. So we just make a profession and go on with our lives. Now, the Jews, they did not believe that stuff. That's why they had conflict. See, the Jews believed in holism. The Jews believed that what I say, I do. What I commit to, I actually perform. And actually have, even if it's hard, or if I'm lonely, or if I'm broke. Or if, it, or if it's difficult, or I have opposition, or I have people that oppose me, I still do, because if I say it, I do it. See, the, the Jew understood this. Hebrew, their concept of life was, I'm one whole person. You see that playing out in our culture? There's a lot of it in our culture. A lot of people make a lot of professions. The Jews believe in holism. Do you? Do we really believe in holism? Are we a better Christian on Sunday? or during revival than we are on Monday through Saturday? Are we, a, are we as good a Christian when we're alone in our rooms and no one's there and we have our computers and our TVs in front of us? Are we as good a Christian then as we are when we're sitting in church? You see, if you're Greek, you wouldn't be. And it wouldn't bother you. Because you don't think God can really have an impact on your physical life because you're just filthy and, and evil and matters evil altogether. But if you're Hebrew, if you, if, if you believe in the living God, if you believe in the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Hebrews, they believe in holism. They believe that you are at least as good, if not better, when you're in your secret places. And Jesus said it like this. He said, don't pray your prayers out loud for the public to see, but go into your secret place. In other words, the depth of your spirituality doesn't show up one hour a week. It shows up the other seven days, six days of the week. That's when you know that you're truly embracing the living God. Amen. So that was a difference. And so that's what he's kind of addressing in that, in that passage in Matthew. In James 1, 22 to 25, here's what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. This is pretty clear, isn't it? Let's say that together. There, that's, that's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So what, what the scripture is teaching us, not only Paul and Jesus, but James, all through the New Testament and Old Testament, you hear this tension between dualism and holism. See, our, our theology, Jesus believed in holism. Jesus believed that you could be like him. The first verse that I quoted to you last Sunday morning was this. John 14, 12, anyone who believes in me will do the things that I've done. Even greater things than these can you do because I go to my Father which is in heaven. I think it's hard for people in this culture to believe that because we're so dualistic. We've embraced the world's ideas of dualism. We don't even believe that we can be like Jesus. We think that's an absurd thought. But I believe the Bible. Amen? I don't care if anybody, if nobody's ever done it, I think somebody could. Other scriptures reaffirm this idea. John 14, 21. If you love me, you will keep my commands. No, wait a minute. No, Jesus, I love you. Come on. Don't question my love just because I don't do everything you say. No, no, no. 
Jesus questions your love if you don't do what he says. He thinks that this is a holistic idea. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. Not because you have to, but because you can do no other. See, I love my wife. I've loved my wife from the day that I met her. I've been married to her for 37 years. We dated her for four years. You do the math. That's 41 years with one woman. If I had an affair, I'm afraid she would kill me. I, that's a motivator. I know that's true. She would probably kill me. But that's not why I don't have affairs. I don't have affairs because I love her. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to hurt me. I don't want to hurt Jesus. I want to be holy because I love her. Not because I'm afraid she's going to kill me, although she would. People tell me, well, you know, why would that guy go out and have an affair? I said, I tell you, I can't because I don't want to die. It's <laughs> not really the reason I don't do that. The reason I don't do it is because I love God and I love her. And it's natural for me to want to please her. See, if you love somebody, you want to please them. You don't have to be forced and twisted and manipulated into it. So the issue doesn't become, am I willing to do stuff? The issue is, do I really love? See, if you're struggling in this tension, if you're caught in this tension between what you, what you know you should do and what you're doing, it's not an issue of discipline and, and self-control. It's an issue of love. Do I really love God? See, if I really love God, I'd rather Him be happy than me. So if there's something I want to do that's not going to make Him happy, I will not do that. Why? Because I love Him. But if, if, if there's something that I want to do that won't make Him happy and I do that thing, who do I love? Me. Not him. It's not an issue of discipline. I think discipline's involved in our faith. But I think love is the foundation for everything we do. It's the foundation for every performance that we perform in the kingdom. It's not out of duty or responsibility or fear. Tragically, too many of us don't have the love of Christ. So most of our performance is out of duty and out of fear. I'd like to see us undo that. John 1, 6 tells us, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoa. Now John's affirming what Jesus said. All these passages make it clear that professing, making promises, or good intentions are not the best evidence that God has changed us. Looking good and smiling and having a clean face on Sunday is not the best evidence that God has changed us. Doing the thing that we have promised, professed, or committed to is the best evidence that He's changed us. Amen? So there's this tension between aspirations and actions. Do you want to put organizational seriousness into what God has done for you this week? Do you want to see it actually happen? Somebody say amen. amen. Some of the promises and commitments, the things that, you've, that we've talked about this week, wouldn't you like to see it happen? Wouldn't you like to see God do something amazing in this church? Like, I don't mean normal. Not, not normal. I mean amazing stuff. I mean stuff that you can't explain and describe by human activity. That God's spirit has to be involved. Well, the only way that's going to happen is if you surrender and let him do things in you that you don't have the capacity to do yourself. And for many of you, there are things in our lives, I know for me, there are things in my life, there's no way I could accomplish them or overcome the problems or the temptations or the trials of my life unless the Holy Spirit were involved. So, making a statement or committing, even moving forward to confirm the change we've committed to are very important. Tonight, I want to ask a question. I ask you this question on Sunday. Some of you may remember it. When we began our time together Sunday morning, I asked you this. Asked if you would be willing to change one habit or one behavior this week. And I said, if you would do that, I feel like this week would be a success. If every person in this room, I don't care what the habit or behavior is or the action that you're going to change. If every person in this room would change one habit, one behavior, one action, you would change your church and change your community. You're a good church. God wants you to be a great church.
You know why? Because you don't just have a good God. You've got an amazing, great God. You've got a God that's able to do normal stuff. No. You have a God that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine, but it's according to the power that's at work in you. It's not according to your gifts. It's according to his gifts flowing through you. Amen? So I'm going to ask you that tonight. Would you be willing to change one habit, one behavior, one action for the rest of your life? How many of you say, if, if, if God would help me and tell me, I would do it? Raise your hand. I'll be willing to change one habit, one behavior, one action for the rest of my life. You see, Paul says we need to do that every day. Paul says if we're really going to be faithful, something in us has to die every day. See, a truly sanctified believer, a person that's really filled with God's Spirit, they have His Spirit. It's called a Holy Spirit. They act like Jesus. John just told us right back there in John chapter 1. We just read it. Uh, tells us whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. So it's not about our performance or our ability. It's about His. So the question is very simple. Are you willing to do that? So just to be confessional, I'm going to be confessional to you tonight. I want to tell you that for the better part of my Christian life, I did not allow God to change me. For the better part of my Christian life, tragically, and even as a pastor in the church, I could be more successful than most pastors without God because the standard was set so low. Because so few people were doing anything good for Jesus, which means so few people were allowing Jesus to flow through them. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that I wasn't serving God. I wasn't walking in the Spirit in those years. But I have to tell you, in those years, in most of my ministry, uh, it didn't take much prayer or much faith to, to win in the church. It just didn't. And I confess that to you. God has been changing me quite regularly lately. I think I told you this on Sunday. God changed my life two years ago. He re-sanctified me. He refilled me. He re-empowered me. He re-killed me. He got Mark out in a way that he hadn't gotten Mark out in a long time. And I've liked it so much that I'm asking him to do it about every day. And it's fun, but it, but, but it makes me mad. Because he's always taking the stuff I like. He's always wanting the stuff. He's annoying me. You remember my definition of leadership? Definition of leadership, the art of annoying people at a rate they can tolerate it. God gets that. He knows how to annoy me. He'll just keep hammering away at something, and that's why most Christians don't pray very much, because when you go to pray, God says, fix that. You go back the next day, and you think he's on some other subject. He's not. Fix that. You go back the next day, you think he's going to be on another subject. Nope. Fix that. Fix that. And then before you know it, you get so tired of hearing that, if you decide not to fix it, you just stop talking to him. That's how we live. But God's not going to stop. He, he's gonna, it's like that stupid commercial on those copper pans. Those things drove me crazy, man. Starting at Thanksgiving, it'll happen. They'll start selling these copper pans that you can melt plastic in and it slides off. You can drop an egg and you can take cheese and put it in the oven and put it on 400 degrees and pull it and it just slides right off. And I just couldn't believe it. I kept living it. Finally, I just got so annoyed, I just went and bought one. And it was right. It was a good product. But I had to get annoyed in order to do it. God understands that. What we're talking about tonight is change. Not good feelings, not warmth, not, not emotions. I'm talking about what happens after emotions. I'm talking about significant, life-transforming change that changes where your feet go, what your hands touch, and what your eyes see, and what your mouth says. Significant change. You, I, I, my prayer is that none of you will be the same person you were last Sunday morning when we're done with this revival. I want to tell you, I'm not. God's already been working on me. Mark Twain said about change 
The only person that likes change is a wet baby. <laughs> and he's right. So God gets this definition of leadership. Some of the cultural behavior changes that I have made in the past years I want to share with you. And this is my confession to you. That I've not allowed God to change me much in my life until two years ago. And I just want to share with you some of the things that God has taken out of my life. And I want you to know that they were, it was like pulling teeth. How many of you like going to the dentist? It's not so much that you like the teeth. It's just you don't like the pain to get rid of them. I'll take the fake teeth as long as it doesn't hurt. But that's why Paul says, well, I have to die daily. You know, it hurts to die. It's dying is painful. See, Christians don't like to die. They like to live. They like to everything to be wonderful. You see, we have to die if we're going to let God. Something has to go. According to Paul, every day. Here's some of the behaviors God's challenged me to change. Some of them you're going to think I'm really petty. One of them is, God said, you're going to stop wearing new clothes. I'm serious. No more new clothes. I used to shop at Dillard's. I didn't shop at no Sears or none of that. I went to Dillard's. No, no Jacques Panay. I was not a J.C. Penney. I was Dillard's, baby. Dillard's. You haven't heard of a Dillard's? Dillard's is like the high-end shopping center for clothing in North in USA, Canada. Not in Canada. I'm sorry. I forget that you may not have Dillard's up here. It's how I many have you ever shopped at Dillard's? You can buy a Hickey Freeman suit at Dillard's. You can buy one, you can order for eleven hundred, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. Gee, see? So your pastor's way ahead of me. <laughs> Because I used to go shopping there. I'd, I'd pay $400 for one jacket. You know, the jacket I wore last night was Hart Shafter and Mark's Golden Trumpeter. $475 jacket. Does anybody know what that means? Hart Shafter and Mark's Golden Trumpeter? Brand new, I got it at the thrift store for seven bucks. <laughs> Brand new. Some dummy one paid $475 and he had so much money that he didn't return it, he just gave it to the thrift store. God provided for me. He does it all the time. Last night I was wearing me some Cole Haan shoes. Cole Haan, they were almost new. I've never even put heels or soles on them because it would be stupid to put heels or sole on a pair of shoes that you paid $3 for. Why would you do that? Just go get another pair. So I got hundreds of dollars. See, when I came to Kansas City, God said, you're going to reach the lost urban core people in Kansas City, and you're going to need some money to do it, so you need to stop buying new clothes, and I'll give you better clothes. At the th I got better clothes, man. Look at here. Here's Macy's right here. 375, Salvation Army, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I, have, I have a Nautica shirt on. Nautica, I could show you the name on it. Nautica, baby. 250. Goodwill. I'm telling you. I got all kind of, this is something, what I'm saying, this sounds very small, but it was huge for me. But I just got to tell you, everything you see me wear, everything you see, I bought used. The stuff you don't see, I bought new. I'm just saying, I bought that new. That stuff. <laughs> we'll move on. Just want you to know. I don't buy that stuff from the thrift store. Maybe the Lord will work on me. I don't know. So right now I'm doing okay with it. Number two, that's something God took out of my life. If God asked you to do something like that, would you even hear him? You'd think you were schizophrenic and some voice starts talking to you. That's what most of us would. 
God tells you stuff like that because he wants you to help lost people. He, he wants you to invest in them. Number two, God challenged me two years ago to fast and pray two days a week until he told me to stop. Every week of my life, it's wonderful. That's wonderful. The best days of my life are the days that I fast and pray. I don't get hungry. It's wonderful. I don't get skinny either because I'm really good at catching up. See, <laughs> I got, I'm working it, huh? I mean, you got to be gifted to fast and pray two days a week and look like that after two years. You got to be good at throwing down the groceries. I'm telling you, I got that gift. But I did that and I've kept that promise. Um, Somebody asked me earlier, what do you, do you not eat anything? No, I don't eat anything. Do you, do you, I, don't drink, I drink water or coffee. I don't drink anything else. If I get weak, I'll drink some juice, but I don't get weak. I've got this unique gift of energy. That's something I really committed to. I, God said, you need to really focus on prayer because you're going to face opposition that the prayer life that you have now will not be adequate for, to keep you strong in. See, if we're going to keep moving up in our faith, folks, we've got to have deeper prayer lives in order to get there. We have to. Or you won't get there. The enemy knows what's coming in your life. He knows what's happening. He knows what's coming tomorrow. And if you get on your knees and pray, God will prepare you for that. And you won't be, oh, surprised when it happens. I mean, you may not know it's coming, but you'll be spiritually prepared for it. And you'll have the right ammunition. Most of the time, we in the church, we aren't, we aren't prayed up. And when a crisis comes, we get caught off guard. We make 15 bad decisions. And we're 10 times worse shaped than we were when we started. If we'd have prayed before it, God would have protected us from our own stupidity. Amen. We might not have hurt people or said things we shouldn't have said because we were walking in the spirit instead of in the flesh. Somebody say amen and ouch. Amen. It's the second thing God did. This is in the last two years. These are, I'm telling you what, what I'm trying to illustrate to you is actual actions, actual organizational serious changes that God has said, Mark, I want you to change this. And I argued with him and yelled at him and fussed at him and told him that was a stupid idea and I like new clothes and I don't want to buy cheap clothes and who's been in those clothes and what kind of diseases they got. I had all those things. I argued with him. But he won. Because I stayed in the conversation. He told me not to waste money on cable. You know, I've never had cable in my life. I don't have internet in my house. Never have. It's funny. (laughs) I... I'm good at tricking people, I guess, because one of the ladies up here said, man, you, you're good at technology. You preach out of your computer. <laughs> I have no technological skills, whatever. I preach out of my computer because I'm blind and I can't read the paper good enough. And so it helps me be able to preach. So I don't, I don't spend money on cable. I know people spend $100 a month. You know, if I, if I, if I save $100 a month for five months, I can give an automobile to a single mom in the heart of Kansas City. It'll change her life. I can is that worth cable to you? I'm not put, understand, I'm not telling you to stop watching cable. I'm not telling you to start fasting. I'm not telling you that you need to start buying clothes at the thrift store, although you'd probably look better if you did, and it'd be cheaper. And, you know, but, and, and, and you see, the cool thing about the thrift store is I buy stuff and I don't even have to break it in. It's ready. I'm not trying to place my convictions on you. I'm telling you that I believe God has some for you. I'd like for you to hear them tonight and commit them to him. Fourth thing, he said, care for the least of these. He said, Mark, when you go to Kansas City, you're going to start caring for people that nobody else cares for, that most people drive around and ignore. You're going to start caring for people that are going to take advantage of you, they're going to abuse you, they're going to damage you, they're going to hurt you. And they're not, they're not going to be nice to you, but you're going to love them. And, he, and I said, but God, why do I have to do that? Can't I care for people that are going to be nice to me? He said, well, he said, my, my son did that, and it cost his life. And I love you at least as much as him, but not more. 
He let his own son die. So care for the least of these. I think Matthew 25, 31 to 46 is an important passage. According to that scripture, if you don't care for the least of these, you're not getting in. Read it sometime. The least of these. We like caring for people like us. We like having people in our home that are like us, that we feel safe with, right? We like getting involved in the lives of people that we don't think are going to harm us or damage us. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't play it safe? Aren't you glad Jesus put actions to salvation? See, he actually, he didn't want to die either. I just want to tell you, it's normal. If you don't want to do this stuff, it's okay. I never did. Any of the things I just listed and the things I'm going to list to you, I didn't want to do them. I just knew that if you don't do what God wants, it usually doesn't end well for you. And I'd argue with him, and, I, and I'd tell him I didn't want to do it. But I stayed in the conversation, and I let him win. So God's been helping me to care for people that most other people won't care for. Number five, when in Kansas City, I've committed to doing the following things. When I'm in, and I mentioned this earlier this week, but I'm going to say it again because I want you to understand that this is a pretty heavy ask. Sometimes God will ask you to do stuff that's really kind of impossible. Really. Humanly thinking, it just seems impossible. I believe God's asking some people here in this place to do some things that you don't have the capacity, the personality, the skills, or the resources to do. See, that's when you, when you do that stuff, that's when you're getting into the sweet spot of faith in God. Remember we talked about Peter earlier this week? See, God wants us to reach for things we haven't yet touched. He wants us to start looking to things we can't yet see. He wants to start stepping in places where there's no footing. Because that's when he becomes the footing. He becomes the thing we grab onto. And he becomes the thing that we look at. And all of a sudden we begin to start seeing him do things that we could never do ourselves. And the good news is when that happens, you cannot take credit for it. God wants to show up and show off in your life. Are you going to let him? So here's what I committed to when I came to Kansas City. I told you this the other day. Every day that I'm in town, every 24 hour periods I'm in town, I'm going to spend one hour praying for my church. I think that'd be a good thing for you to do. What if you just, I want you to know, these things that I'm going to share with you right now, my church, I expect them to do all these things once a week. My lay people, I expect them to do them once a week. I'm going to do them once every day because I think my commitment has to be about 20% higher than theirs or they'll never get there. And so every day that I'm in town, I'm going to spend one hour praying just for my church. Every day that I'm in town, I'm going to spend one hour and every 24-hour period I'm in town meeting someone that I don't know and Jesus doesn't know. I got to tell you, that is hard sometimes. Because there's only so many new places that you can find where people you've never met before. But God's helped me so far to do it. I shared some of those stories on Sunday. Spend one hour every day reconnecting with those who I've met once. I've been able to do that. So those things are called prayer, evangelism, and disciple making. Because see, I think the number one thing Jesus asked us to do is make disciples. And we said it earlier, I'll just say it again, for redundance sake. Remember he said... All authority in heaven and earth is given me. Therefore, go and plant beautiful churches and have nice worship services. No, didn't say that. And I like churches and I like nice worship services and it's been wonderful this week. But the objective of the church is to make disciples. The objective of the Christian is to make disciples. So those things I do, I also had committed to this. This is something, this is my kind of my mission action plan, uh, my personal one. I began to pray and I said, God, Give me some kind of a vision, a, a tangible goal that I can kind of, you know, it's really important that when God gives us something to do, we put measurable goals on it. Things that we can determine, did I really do that? See, most of the things we tell God we're going to do is like, we'll say, God, I'll be good today. Well, what does that mean? 
How can you measure that? But you can say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Now, I didn't, so this, this next one, if you change the screen to the next uh, first line on the next screen, I did not come up with this, this vision. That's not something I came up with. This happened when I was on my face praying. I said, God, the world's going to hell. What can I do about it in my role? I'm the director of evangelism for two countries. I'm a director of church planning for two countries. How can I implement and, and, and somehow impact Christ, making Christ like disciples in two great countries? You know what he said? He said, make a new disciple every month of your life. I said, no, wait a minute. I'm talking about in my role. I'm talking about when I travel. I mean, how can I help you guys to do this? He said, I don't want you to teach something you're not doing. He said, I want you to commit to me that you're going to try to bring one person into the kingdom every month of your life. So I made that commitment. I said, God, now here's what that is. I want you to get, that's what, ha- what that is right there is what happens in revivals. We make a decision we're going to do better. God didn't stop there. He said, no, no, that's not enough. He said, I want you to put action to that vision. I want, I want to see how it's going to happen. You know, kind of like dreaming about taking a road trip with my daughter, but never buying a ticket or buying gas or getting a car. <clears throat> that's what that is. That's revival without the fire falling the rest of your life, only falling for one week. How many of you think God's got enough fire to let it keep falling? Amen. <clears throat> He's not going to give out on fire. So my mission, God said this to me. He said, I want you to give your life to winning one person to the kingdom every month. I thought that was hard. I said, how? He said, meet a pre-Christian every day, wherever you are in the world. Now, this is not my Kansas City mission. This is my life mission. So wherever I'm at on the planet, I'm going to meet at least one person every day that doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to make it happen. Now, I don't always do that every day, but on the average, that's my commitment, that once every seven days, there's at least seven people that I meet that don't know Jesus and talk to them. I met um, Grant on the plane coming from uh, Winnipeg. Uh, from, Van, from Vancouver to Winnipeg a couple of weeks ago, and he's like the uh, vice president of the, the, the Winnipeg newspaper, whatever that newspaper is. And his, name is and his name is Grant, and I got sat next to him, and I, I talked to him about Jesus, and I presented the fa- my faith to him. You know what he said? I said, Grant, what can I pray for you about as we left? You know, you're getting off the plane. Well, he didn't accept Christ, but I presented my faith. I said, what can I pray for him? He said, oh, he, you know what he said? He said, Oh, don't pray for me. He thought like Nazarene's thought. He said, don't pray for me. I don't need anything. I've been blessed. I've got a lot of stuff. See, you know what we think? We think if people are like, okay, they got enough money, everything's all right, they don't need Jesus. He thought that about himself. I said, tell you what I'm going to pray, Grant. Here's what I'm going to pray for you. I said, I'm going to pray that, that you're going to be one of the few that makes it to heaven. He just kind of looked at me. Now, I didn't ask for permission to pray. I'm going to pray that way whether he gives me permission or not. But he said, no, no, don't worry about praying for me. Pray for the people that need it. I've been blessed. And I've been praying for Grant. I I emailed him the other day. I didn't get a response. (laughs) I'm praying for you today. I'll probably email him again. I believe in leadership, baby. The art of annoying people at the rate they can tolerate. (laughs) I'm going to keep on texting him and emailing him. The third thing that I committed to God was that I would uh, present the gospel to someone every week. Now that's, you see what those two things are? See, this is my mission, but this is like revival without follow-up. It's like inviting someone to church and they come and you never talk to them or see them again because you haven't done your due diligence to find them and go visit them. It's like me meeting LaRonda on the porch 
one Sunday and never seeing her again instead of being in her home 50 times and doing a Bible study five times and taking her and her family out to dinner 10 times in the last two years. That's the difference. See, this is the taking out to dinner stuff. This is the Bible study stuff in her home. And this is setting the dates and the times. A mission action plan. See, revival, if you want revival to last, and I think, how many of you think we've had revival this week? Raise both your hands. <clears throat> I think we've had revival. I think God's Spirit has been here. It's been amazing. I've experienced His presence. I don't want Him to, 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 to leave. I want the revival to burn as hot on Sunday as it did last Sunday, and it does tonight and tomorrow night and throughout the week, and then the next Sunday even hotter. I don't think God's going to run out of fire. God has been so faithful to help me as I've made these promises. I have to tell you, my faith has grown more than I've ever grown in my life. I can't believe. I met a lady one time. She was a new, I was a brand new Christian. I was probably, I was probably only about six months old in the Lord. And there was this bowling alley in Newport News, Virginia. And that's where I grew up at. And, and this was an old nasty place. Back in the day, you couldn't go to bowling alleys if you were Nazarene. Did y'all know that? Because in bowling alleys, they drank and they smoked. And they used to kind of carouse with each other. It was just a nasty place. And my parents, man, they weren't Nazarenes at that point. But they didn't let me go to bowling alley. Well, when I got old enough to go to bowling alley, I went. And then I found Jesus when I was almost 17. And the guy that owned the bowling alley found Jesus. And he stopped letting them smoke and drink beer in his bowling alley. It's amazing, man. I got to go to the bowling alley the first time in my life without any guilt. It's wonderful. Amen. Amen. I went in there, and there was this lady working behind the counter. I got to tell you about this lady. This lady was amazing. Pastor may be mad at me, but I'm getting hot again. Take it off. He moved this mic out of the way. I thought that man he didn't want me to use it as a stand for my chat. <laughs> this was the most godly, humble, broken, faithful lady I'd ever met in my life. She was the sweetest, kindest person I ever met. She was so godly. I just come in there. <coughs> she was a much older woman than I was. She was probably in her 50s, and I was like at that point, like 18 years old. I just come in there and watch how nice she was. P customers would yell at her and cuss at her and, 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 and they, they'd throw things at her. And she just smiled and loved on them and loved on them. And one day, I, I just stopped and I said, man, I just got to tell you, I'm a new Christian. Man, I am so impressed and honored by your faith. I said, I want to have faith like you have. I want to have the kind of love for people that treat you mean that you have. I want to have that kind of faith. You know what she said? She looked me right in the eyes and she said, no, you don't. She said, you're not willing to pay the price to get that kind of faith. She began to tell me her story and what she'd been through and, and how, how she'd had to, she, the reason she got deeper in, in faith is because she went through so many horrible things in her life. Her husband had been unfaithful. She, she, had, she had had all kinds of problems with her children. Horrible life. She said, but I hope you get this kind of faith. But she said, to get that, it's going to cost you something. We read about it earlier. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, Got to go to church on Sunday and pay your time. Take up your cross and follow me, Daddy. That's, that's what he said. Well, that just kind of messed with me. I've seen more people come to faith in the last two years than I have in the previous 25 years of ministry. Just because of actual organizational seriousness, actually uh, disciple-making and prayer and, and being sacrificial in my living and being sacrificial in my giving and being sacrificial in how I dress, all that stuff has worked out with more people coming to Christ in two years than any of the years prior in my whole life, 25 years of pastoral ministry. God's been so good. I want to introduce you to a few of these people. This is Ron. I, I met Ron. I told you about him on Sunday night. He's a guy that I knocked on his door, 
and, and he had a, um, uh, one of those um, ostomy bags, and he was changing when I came in. I sat down. I didn't tell you the whole story because it's kind of gross, but and this is like this one-bedroom house. It's really bad. It's kind of broken down. It's the one, uh, it's apartments. There's like 10 of them on a line, and there's five on either side, and they're one-bedroom efficiencies, and they're really old. They're, it's like in Kansas City, there's these places where all the houses have been condemned, and the city came, and they, they bulldozed them over. And there's only a few houses left, and what you see on the side of the hills are steps, concrete steps, going up to what used to be a house. Everything, it's just gone. Except this is that one project that's still there because the government subsidizes it and they don't have to do anything to it and they still get their rent. And these people live there, these black people live in this place and they're so poor and they're so needy. And God just told me to go knock on the doors and meet some of them one day. I met Ron. The, the, the door was open, the screen door was shut, and he invited me to come in. I came in and, and I, he asked me to sit down and, and after he changed his ostomy bag, he, we talked and, you know, Told him I was praying for him. I told you about him on Sunday. I didn't show you his picture. Remember I told you, he said, man, thank you for visiting me. I'm so lonely. So I said, well, what do you like to eat, Ron? Because he couldn't go out to eat. He'd had like eight surgeries in the last two years in his back. And, uh, and his rear end. I mean, that's why he had this colostomy bag. And he said, I like, I like pasta. I said, well, I'm gonna, I, when I come back, I'm leaving town. But I'll be back next week. I'm going to bring you some pasta. We're going to have dinner together. Is that okay? He said, yeah, man. So I did. I went, I went out of town. I came back two weeks later. And you know what that's called? It's called disciple making. So just, go, just, just going and finding somebody and just loving on them. That's, that's all. I didn't throw the King James and hit him upside the head and tell him to go to hell. I just went out and met with him and talked to him. And, and then I brought him pasta. How many of y'all could bring somebody pasta? Y'all aren't real responsive tonight. Y'all want me to preach a long time, don't you? You know we're getting done. Friday's over. You want me to just go on till midnight, right? Amen. Remember, when you don't respond, I preach, man. Hang in there. Here we go. I came back and I had had a dinner with Ron, and I brought Stevie with me, Jenny's husband, the lady that I showed you the total transformation story on Sunday. That that lady that was from Albuquerque, uh, her husband Stevie. I, I never, by the way, I never do ministry alone. Ever, ever, never, ever, ever do ministry alone. Ever. I would not injure my people by not taking them with me to do ministry and learning ministry. Uh, I always do ministry with people. When I, go, when I go out to make a hospital call, I'll call 15 people before I'll go alone. If it's midnight, I'll make some people mad at me because I want my people to learn how to do ministry and spirits ministry. So I took Stevie with me. Stevie was a, he was a bitter old cuss. When I, he didn't want to go do anything. He was all carnal and mean. I started spending time with Stevie. Before you know it, now Stevie's deeper in his faith than he's ever been in his life. His wife called me the other day. She said, you're not going to believe what's happening to Stevie. He's just serving God. He, she said, this has been wonderful. It's been great. Well, Stevie went with me. We sat down. We fed him pasta. And when we were in there, his brother came. Uh, Ron's brother came in. And, and um, when I left to go out, Ron's brother followed me out. You know what he said? He said, Pastor, thank you for visiting my, my brother. What, what made you come to this godless place? It's a godless place. You just have to get within 15 feet of this, this facility and you know that it's dark. I said, the Holy Spirit made me come. He said, you need to know that every person in my family is a Christian except for Ron. He's been against God, away from God. He's been fighting God his whole life. He's one of the most evil men I've ever known. He said, I'm the only one in my family that will even visit him. And I didn't talk to him for 10 years. That's the kind of people God will send you to. The people, even the people that are their family given up on, but God hasn't given up on anybody. Amen. When I walked out of that place, I'll never forget, I got into my car 
I had some white khakis on, and the back of my khakis were like green and brown and yellow from urine and defecation that was on his couch. That's kind of gross, isn't it? You don't have to worry about any of that if you just, just don't go out and do what God tells you. You'll stay clean. My pants cleaned up pretty good. I can't wait to get back and see Ron. I'm going to get over there and bring him some more pasta next week when I get back home. I can't wait. This is Eddie. Eddie, he lives two, two doors down in this same complex. So that day, I just knocked on every door in the complex. They were real close together. There's like five of them on each side, or four on each side. There's four buildings, and there's four apartments in each building on each side. That's how small it is. And I met Eddie. Eddie came out, and he sat down, and he brought this thing out. This is like a dollhouse. He makes it by hand. Uh, he made this house all by himself. Um, his wife died of cancer three years ago, three weeks ago. Three weeks she died. He's so lonely. He sat there and just wept. He said, he said, thank you for coming to visit me. He said, I haven't had anybody visit me in probably three months. Do you know how lonely people are out there waiting for somebody like you just, just to come visit them? Oh, some of them will get mad at you. They'll cuss you out. Of course they will. I had one guy try to shoot me. Right there, the next door, next, next to Eddie. This woman, I got her, she came to church. And she started coming to church, and I came to visit her. And her son came out with a gun and said, you don't come visit my mom anymore. It's all right, you get opposition. Don't, you know, welcome to ministry. You can't avoid opposition. Not if you have God's Spirit in you, you can't avoid it. On, on, Easter, on, on Mother's Day, this last Mother's Day, I got to be home. I got home Saturday night. I think Mother's Day was maybe the 14th. Do you all do Mother's Day in Canada? So I think it's the 14th of, 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 uh, of May. So I arrived the 13th of May about 1030 at night, right? So I'm tired. I've been gone for two and a half weeks, and I'm home. And I got to leave Monday morning at 6 a.m. That's when my plane leaves. So I got one day. And on that day, I had a pretty full schedule. So I had to, first of all, I have staff meeting at 11, all right? And then after staff meeting, I got to go drive the van. I had to write a sermon. I had to prepare the worship order. And then, and then I drive the van to pick people up. Then I preach after I organize and run the service. And then after I preach, I take people back in the van because when I'm home, I'm going to be with people. I'm going to touch real people. I'm not just going to be the CEO guy um, because I want to be real with my people, you know, And because and I'm not there but one Sunday a month. So I really want to be engaged when I'm there. And so, and then, then I had two staff members that wanted to meet with me after I got back in the van. So, I mean, it was going to be a late night. And I, had to, I had to get up at like 3.30 in the morning to get to the airport by 5.00. And I got up, guess what I have to do? I got to spend an hour in prayer. I got to spend an hour reaching people that don't know Jesus that I don't know. And I got to spend an hour reconnecting with somebody. You know why? Because I made a promise. I explained to God that I was tired. I said, God, I really don't want to do this. This is kind of tired. Can I just rest? He said, oh, you can. He said, I'd like you to go over to the laundromat and maybe bless some mothers on Mother's Day. I said, man, it's, I, I got staff meeting at 11. I got a 45-minute drive from my house to the laundromat and where the church is. He said, that's okay, Mark. If you don't want to go, sorry, right. We'll just let those people go to hell. He talks real straight with me. So you know what I did? I prayed for an hour on Sunday morning. I left my house at about 6.30, and I got over to the laundromat at like uh, Troost and 64th Street, Troost and Meyer there. And I went in that laundromat and I took a $50 bill and I put it in that machine and got $50 worth of quarters and I put them in my pocket. You ever had $50 worth of quarters in your pocket? That's a lot of quarters. And I went in that laundromat and I had some flyers for my church. 
for Mother's Day, which was that evening. We had an outreach event that evening. We had a big event on Sunday night, Mother's Day. And I went in there, and, and I started buying laundry for these women. I'd go up to them, and I'd say, good morning, are you a mother? And they'd say, well, yes, I am. I'd say, well, my mother's in Virginia, and my favorite mother, my wife's in Florida. I can't celebrate them, but could I celebrate you? Could I, could I buy you laundry for Mother's Day? <clears throat> oh, sure, they did. I had not, didn't have one person turn me down. <clears throat> you know how much it costs to do a load of laundry? $6.75. Do you know how long it takes you to put $6.75 in quarters in a machine and half of them don't go and you got to push the button again and start all over? It takes you long enough to tell them about Jesus, invite them to church and give them a flyer. That's about how long it is. I, I talked to about uh, eight mothers that morning and uh, then I was leaving and the manager came over. Her name's Tabitha. The manager came over and she said, can I, can I come to your event? Sure, I gave her a flyer. She said, I'll be there. Tabitha came. That night, I gave an invitation on Mother's Day. I just almost always give an invitation because we have a lot of people that don't know Jesus in our church. You know, they're not all Christians ever. And um, she came forward with about 10 other people. And all of my staff had eight staff members. And, and all of my staff had somebody to pray with. And they prayed with somebody. But there was only one person that invited to pray with that came forward. And that was Tabitha. And I got to go over and pray for Tabitha. And lead her to Christ. That's Tabitha right there. That's a picture of her. One more click and you'll see it. There it is. That's her. That's Tabitha. She's, she's uh, I think she's 30, I think she's 34 years old. I just talked to her today. 34 years old. She has seven children. She's a single mom. Wow. How you doing? That's kind of work, isn't it? She's lost all of her kids, but two because of her drug addiction. She came to Jesus back that day, some months back, and uh, now she's paid her rent up through January. She's got a vehicle, and she's coming to church every Sunday, and I'm going to be baptizing her the middle of October. I can't wait to do it. It's going to be an exciting day. And you know what? She's got, she's got five of her seven kids back. The night that she missed church a couple weeks ago, she missed church because, because Child Protective Service was coming to investigate her house on, on Monday morning. She had to stay home to get it clean so she could get her son back, her 10-year-old son. She got him back. I just talked to her today. She's coming to church this Sunday. Now, I didn't tell her I wasn't going to be there, but she's coming to church, she told me. Tabitha. This is, uh, y'all understand what this, this is called organizational seriousness. This is actually when God tells you to do something, you actually make a decision, I'm actually going to change my behavior. And here's the result. The result is people come to the kingdom because you're serious about it. You're intentional. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you need to be more intentional. Amen. This was a, I just want to tell you that this was a significant change in my life. When I did this, it was hard for me to do these things. And I just mentioned to you in the last two years. Those things actually changed in my life. But I don't even notice them anymore. Kind of like using a hammer when you first use a hammer and nail a bunch of nails. You get all calloused up and bruised up and blistered up. And it just hurts so bad in your fingers you can't open them up after you got them off the hammer for a while. But after a while it just kind of comes normal and it just doesn't seem hard. See, developing good habits is like that. Taking the things that we've talked about this week and saying I'm going to actually turn them into action and a plan. Before you know it you'll be just kind of like normal. Doing the things God calls you to do will just be natural for you, and they won't be hard any longer. And then God's going to have to call you to something harder to challenge you, something bigger to challenge you. Remember we talked about Sunday? We move from grace to grace to grace. 
So how can we move forward in this revival? Here we go. Get your pencils and your pads out. We're going to answer some of your blanks and then we're done. Somebody say amen. amen. Some of you have been sitting there itching. Man, where's the notes? Where's the, where's the blanks? Where are they at? Here they are. Here's what you can do. Number one, keep promises and turn them into actions and plans. Some of you made some commitments to God this week about your prayer life. Some of you made some commitments to God this week about your evangelism life. Some of you made some commitments to God this week about how much you should read the Word. I want you to actually turn those into actions. I want you to put actions and timelines on it. You're going to actually, when are you going to pray and where are you going to pray and for how long? When are you going to go, uh, go meet somebody you don't know and, and where are you going to go to meet them and what are you going to say to them? I want you to put them into real action. That's number one. Number two, recapture the biblical and the Protestant concepts of the priesthood of all believers. Recapture that concept. Let me tell you what happened at Atlanta First Church. I came to Atlanta First Church, and the church was running, I think, about, about 320 when I came there. I left a church of 1,000 to come there. I never went to a church that was bigger than the one I left, and I never went to a church that paid more than the one I left. That wasn't because I was spiritual. It's just nobody wanted me, you know, <laughs> bigger churches. But I just went where God called me. I go to Atlanta First, and, 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 and I started preaching on the priesthood of believers. And I told them, I, I'd love to do everything, but I said, God's going to grow our church so fast, I'm not going to be able to manage all the hospital calls. <clears throat> I told them, I said, I want to. I love going. I love doing hospital calls. And I can do hospital calls for a church of about 300, but when we get to like six or 700, I can't. I'm going to need some help. <clears throat> they listened. You're talking about organizational seriousness. We had one of our men get sick and got in the hospital, and I would go whenever there's somebody having surgery, I'd be at the hospital before they got there. Like if their surgery is going to be at six, I'd be there at five. I want to be there to greet them when they come in. <clears throat> I'm hypersensitive to that stuff. I think pastors and, and ministers and Christians ought to be very interested in helping their brothers and sisters through sickness. So that was important to me. Well, I got there that morning to meet Ron, and his family shows up. But when I got inside the, the waiting room, there were 35 Nazarenes from the home builders class waiting there for him. They were there before I got there. And I went up to the Sunday school teacher of the class. I said, man, this is amazing. I said, what did you do to get this? He said, I didn't do anything, Pastor. You told us that the priesthood of believers should be engaged. So that's what I've been teaching. They're, we're doing what you told us. What's your problem? He said, we love you, Pastor, and we don't want to kill you. And I know you can't, you can't pastor a bunch, as many people as all. He said, he said, he said this to me. At that point, our church was running maybe about 650. I mean, our church exploded. It went from 320 to 850 in two and a half years. It was God. You can't, humans don't do stuff like that. It was God. And the reason it happens is because these lay people understood that they were responsible for ministry. They started actually doing ministry. Amen. And he said to me that, they said, Pastor, we love you. We want you to come here. We'd rather you be here to pray with us than anybody on the planet. He said, but I want you to understand that we can handle this. We can handle this. You don't have to feel like you have to come. You're not going to offend us. You're not going to make us mad. We can handle it. It actually worked. That's the New Testament concept of the church, folks. It's every believer's a minister. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look like a priest. Because <coughs> that's exactly what a priest looks like. A, a priest is a believer. Number three, develop measurable goals for your mis personal mission and for the church's mission. I want to challenge you to develop some measurable goals. Whatever you've committed to do this week, if you've committed to elevate your prayer life or to elevate your disciple-making life or elevate your Bible-reading life or elevate whatever you've decided to elevate or if you've, if you've told God you're going to stop doing this or stop doing that, don't wait till next month. Stop it now. Don't wait till next week. Start it now. But put some organizational, serious, measurable goals on it. I'm going to start doing this now, and here's the behavior that's going to change so that I can get that thing done. Amen? 
measurable goals. Think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah got a vision to build the walls of, of Jerusalem. He sat around and prayed and said, oh God, you're going to do it. No, he didn't. He got his carcass up and went over to Jerusalem. He walked around, he took notes, and he started organizing. He made a plan. The only reason those walls were built is because he made a plan and God blessed that plan. He was obedient to God and God got it done. Faster than anybody expected, with opposition, with all kinds of barriers to cross, he still did it because God was with him. It was God's vision. Put disciple making in your plans. B, sign and write down tonight one behavior or habit that you commit to changing. On your notes, in just a minute, you're going to do this. I'm going to ask you to fill that bottom piece out. I don't have a bucket up here, but I need one. Could anybody run and get me a bucket? Well, we got an offering plate. Good. <clears throat> we got offering plates. If we can get those offering plates, maybe we can get about three or four of them up here before the invitation. That'd be fine. You don't have to bring them now. Uh, we're going to write there, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to make a significant transition in your life. And when, here's the fun thing about this stuff. When you start doing this, it all of a sudden becomes fun. Before you know it, you think, I didn't think I could accomplish that. Look, I did. I didn't think I could get that done. And look, I got it done. Why? Because the power of God helped me. Amen? So sign it right down. Num number C, commit to times and places to pray. The most important thing you'll ever do is pray. I don't mean talk about prayer and go to prayer conferences and go listen to seminars on prayer. I don't mean going here and somebody talk about prayer. I mean actually praying. That's what we need to start doing. We would actually pray. You just don't need a lot of insight on praying. Just get on your face and say, help! And he'll come. But don't get on your knees and tell him how great you are and tell him he needs to bless you and protect you from all those mean Nazarenes. <clears throat> or whatever. Commit to times and places. I have a time to pray. Now, when I was pastoring, I'd get up and pray early in the morning, <clears throat> about 6 a.m., and then people started finding out. They started calling me, so I had to move it back earlier and earlier. Now I get up almost every morning about 3.30, 4 a.m., and I, it's the only time I can pray without being interrupted. But I'm not going to be interrupted. I, I'm going I'm to spend time with Jesus. And so, <clears throat> so I do that, and, that's, and you know where my place is? I have a prayer place. It's my car, wherever I'm at. I usually have a rental car. This week, it's my hotel room. I'll usually have a rental car, and I'll go to a place, and I'll just sit and I'll pray for at least one hour every morning of my life. That was one of the promises I made God. I want to challenge you to make a promise and put a time on it and a place and start it tomorrow. Don't start it next week. Commit to being hypersensitive to the Spirit. Make yourself aware of the Spirit. Make yourself listen. You know, I, I worked on cars most of my life. And it became so important to me. I sold cars, high-end cars for about 10 years. I told you that last night. And, and, and I got the place to where I could listen. I had to really be careful to listen. When I went to an auto auction to buy a car, now when I first did it, I went and I bought a Lexus in Virginia. I had to drive it all the way back to Albuquerque. It was about a two-day drive. And I bought this Lexus EX, ES300. And it was beautiful. It only had like 68,000 miles on it. It was clean. It was pristine. I mean, it was polished. It was, it was a teal color with tan interior leather. It had every option imaginable on it. And I... And I, I, and I Started up, drove it around, and I bought it. And I got about to Oklahoma City, and the engine threw a rod out through the block. That day, I decided I'm going to have to do better at listening. Right now, if I go get in a car, I can sit in that car, and I can tell you if it has lower engine noise sitting inside the cab of that car. And if it's really, if I'm not real sure, I'll get on there, and I'll put a, I'll put a screwdriver on the on the block and put it in my ear and I'll hear it. I, I will not consider a car. I'm learning to listen. I was forcing myself to listen to things I wouldn't normally hear. See, this is what it means to be hypersensitive to the Holy Spirit. It means, it means it's, 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 it's 
disciplining yourself to hear the voice of God. And he usually doesn't show up in the clashing of the lightning and in the, the, the explosion of dynamite. He usually shows up in a still, small voice. And you have to want to hear it. So I challenge you to be committed to being hypersensitive. As we close the service tonight, I want to do something a little different. Let's take this revival and turn it into some real action. I can't wait for tomorrow night. I've been praying and fasting and believing for God to give us a great service. And I hope that you'll invite people to church tomorrow night that maybe don't know Jesus. And we're going to have a wonderful time together. I've already told you the question that we were going to ask. Some of us, I'm just going to go over some of the things. I shared with you some of the things that God told me to do, right? I've already done that. And we're just about done. We'll be done in about five minutes. But I've shared some things with you that God told me to do. And I gave those to you just as examples of things that God might be saying to you. How God speaks. God speaks in specifics. He wants us to actually do something, not just something be done to us. So I want to share some things that maybe God may have spoken to some of you about this week. Some of you need to move up on your grace ladder. Some of you are saved, but you've never been filled with the Spirit, and you'd like to experience that. Some of you have been sanctified, but you're up and down like that Corvair. And your faith is good when there's a revival or when you're in church, when everything's going your way, and when things aren't going your way, it goes bad. God wants to change that for you. Your spiritual life should look like this, not like this. That's what God has planned for you. If your life is like this, you may need to move up the spiritual ladder. Some of you need to make intentional time and space to make disciples. Don't be discouraged if you, if you go out and present the gospel to 10 people and you get fussed at and they throw rocks at you. See, you don't get, it doesn't say go make disciples until you're rejected. It says go make disciples of all nations. Just do it. <clears throat> Some need to commit to more intensive prayer. Some of us here need to say, I, 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 I try to act like a Christian and, and I don't get it done because I'm not prayed up. I don't have the power when I need it. When a crisis comes, I lose my mind. My hair gets on fire and I start running around crazy instead of being an adult. Number four, some of us need to be more committed to stewardship. Talked about that last night. I'd like to see the giving in this church double. I think it could. I I think it could. And and it's not going to help me. I'm gone tomorrow, you know. And the preacher didn't tell me this stuff. But I'm just telling you, I I think God could double. And if you had double income, you could do double ministry. You can impact more people for Christ. And there's a lot of people in the church that aren't tithing, I know. And, and unfortunately, most of us think tithing's the end. That's the training wheels of stewardship. Somebody say amen. amen. It always gets quiet when you start talking about money, doesn't it? You know why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. We don't want to talk about money. We think that's ours. Remember my illustration about teaching Katie about the French fries last night? Amen. Somebody say amen and ouch. <clears throat> Some need more time in the Word. Some of us need to be more committed to the Word of God. I love revival. I'm able to sit around for hours, and I, and I open up my Bible, and I, and I get my little, um, what is the thing, version going. It's got the, the, the Bible in it. And I listen to it, and I read it, and I take notes. It's amazing. I get the Bible coming through my ears and through my eyes and through my heart, and I put it down with my hands. It's a wonderful thing. If you haven't ever tried that, get your version app out, put your earphones on, and listen to a couple of chapters in the Bible and read it with your eyes while you're doing it and take notes. You think you're a preacher. You start, you start writing commentaries. It'll bless your heart. It'll bless your preaching. Some need, to re, some need to release some habitual sin. They've been caring for a long, long time. I know there's, I know there's people here because I know what human beings are like. You've got stuff in your life that you would never admit in this church. You'd never tell anybody about it. But I'm going to ask you tonight to commit those things. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a few minutes. I've asked the praise team to sing a song. 
I want you to, I want you to take that piece of paper out. I want you, you know how to do this, right? If you've been around long, you know how to do this. You do that. This old perforated thing where they make it easy for you, they're not, they're not, they're, that's, that's a sissy way to cut paper. You do it like, do it like that. Everybody got, you know that, that deal? Now, some of you have, you know, you have scissors. See that? Look at that. Look how clean. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I want y'all to pull that off, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. Just real simple. I'm going to ask you to write your name on the top of that. If you don't want to write your name, you don't have to. But I want you to write your name if you can. Then I want you to write an organizational serious decision you made this week that you're going to change something. And I want you to put on there, this is what I'm going to change. This is when I'm going to change it. And if it's prayer, I want to know when you're going to start praying. Once a day, once a week. If it's discipleship, I want to know what you're going to do. I'm going to go find some lost people and pray for them at a distance. I don't care. As long as you get around them. If, if it's you're going to start reading the Bible more, I'd like to know when. What time of the day are you going to start doing that? Because something has to go. If you're going to, See, we're talking about organizational serious change here. Everybody get it? So I want us to bow our heads, and I want them, the card looks something like that that you're going to pull out. And I'm going to ask you to come and lay them here. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take these, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take them with me, and I'm going to pray for you. And, and it's going to be completely confidential. I don't know you, and I'm not going to snitch you out. But I got news for you. God knows everything that's in your life. And I want you to write something on here. I'd like for every person in the place to write something. Maybe you'd say, I'm going to move from tithing to stewardship. Maybe you'd say, I'm going to move from being a mediocre Christian to being a hypersensitive Christian. I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to help me to hear his voice more clearly like I've never heard it in my life. That's what I want you to do. So I want you to bow your heads, and I want our, our praise team to sing that song through for us. Do just the, just the course, and you guys do some writing right now. And I want you to pray. I want you to bow your heads right now before you write, and I want you to say, God, give me clear direction on what you want me to change. I want this revival to last. I want clear direction. God, tell me what to write down, and if you tell me what to write down, I'll commit to it. So let's sing while they pray. to walk by one of these offering plates and I want you to put that thing in there. I don't care if there's nothing on it. I want to at least give you the opportunity to march. I want everybody in the place to come in and put something in there and then go back to your seats while they sing this song again. You can join them. Let's do it again.
sang is what we, I hope, happens tonight as we leave here. You'll never be the same. Uh, you're going to have a lot of same things in your life, but in the area that you've committed to, I, I challenge you to never be the same again. Make that promise and keep it. How many of you, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're not gonna, I'm not going to ask you to come forward tonight. I just want to just ask you, I want to know where we're at on this. How many of you made some kind of a promise or commitment to God tonight? Raise your hand real high. Made some kind of promise. Praise God. Pastor, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. How many of you are going to keep that promise? Raise your hand. Amen. I want you to share what you've done. I'm going to be praying for you. I've got that list. I'm going to, be, I'm going to put it together and type it up and make a list. And you're going to go on my daily prayer list. And I just hope God does amazing things in this church. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. What I'd like to do tonight is I'd like for us to close with a time of prayer for tomorrow night's service. I want to ask God to pour His Spirit and His power in this place tomorrow night so that many people will come to know Christ and many people will get to know Christ a little bit better as a result of our time together. So, Pastor, if you'd come and lead us. And if you really want to see God do something tomorrow night and you've been praying for some people that need Jesus, I want you to come down the altar and kneel and we're going to just pray for those people right now as we close the service. Somebody you're praying for, just come and let's pray for them. Let's gather together right here in the front and pray together. I've got some people that I'm praying for. I'm going to join you down there as the pastor leads us in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, may you empower each one of us to put into practice what we have been hearing all week from your servant. May you help each one of us, Lord, to, to carry out, to carry out the commitments that we have written down tonight so that they are not just something we wrote about, but they are something that we will live out on a, on a regular basis, on a daily or weekly basis, Lord. Let it happen. Let it happen. Dear Lord, most likely some, some people have written down some goals, some commitments that seem impossible. But with you, with you, great things are possible. And so remind us and help each one of us to remember that whatever we wrote down may, may seem very difficult or in some cases impossible to carry out, but, but we have been reminded that we have a great God. You are great, and you are able to greatly work in us and through us. And, and as Pastor Mark has said, sometimes, sometimes we may be laughed at, sometimes we may be um, turned down, sometimes we may be shamed or whatever, but Lord, help us to remember that we are doing the work of the Lord, the will of the Lord, whether we are lay people or pastors, whether we are younger or whether we're older, whether we're male or female, whether we've been Christians a long time or a short time, oh God. And Heavenly Father, we pray, we pray for tomorrow evening. We pray for Friday evening. We pray, Lord, that that as we have invited and will invite precious people who have not who have not started to become followers of Jesus we pray lord that by your holy spirit they would be drawn to you they would be drawn to the service tomorrow evening they would be drawn to to faith and trust in in Jesus by your spirit lord through through however you choose to work tomorrow lord whatever means you wish to work through the soloist the congregational singing the, 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 the preaching, oh God, the loving, whatever we, whatever ways you wish to communicate, Lord, we know many of us have experienced how by your spirit you tug upon our hearts. You 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 draw us to your to, to yourself. And so we pray that tomorrow in different ways you will accomplish what you want to accomplish in the drawing of more precious people to believe in Christ, to follow Christ, to be devoted to you through and through. And Lord, we pray that as tomorrow we anoint with your, with your, your holy oil, Lord, as we anoint with oil a symbol of your Holy Spirit, Oh, God, as we anoint and pray for people, whatever their needs will be, physical, emotional, uh, family, spiritual, uh, whatever their needs might be, oh, God, we pray. We pray for miracles, miracles not because we 
we have power, but because we call upon your power, your power, your grace, and your mercy, and your love. And we pray, O oh God, that you would bring about healing in people's lives that will be possible only through your power. Let it be so. Let it be so. Oh, God, we read in your Bible where it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in you for miracles tomorrow evening. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. And, Father, we pray. We pray for ongoing miracles in the, in the church in Kansas City that Pastor Bain pastors, Lord. We pray for that, that church that he's been telling us about that he started just a few years ago and, and, and that, that he's, he, he's, he's nurturing even as he travels for most of the month, Lord. I thank you for those who work with him. Uh, thank you, Lord, for his, his co-workers. And I pray that you will use, you will continue to use Pastor Mark Bain and, and his fellow workers, Lord, to continue to reach out in that area of Troost and 63rd Street, Lord, that, that area that I had the privilege of living in when I was in seminary many years ago. Thank you, Lord, for those precious people in those homes. And may you continue to use to use our brother pastor and his people to reach out with your holy gospel in that part of Kansas City. And so now, we thank you for the privilege of being in, in your presence with your precious people. You have spoken to, to each one of us in different ways, and we, we want to be obedient. We want to carry out what we have heard from you through your servant, through your preacher, and what we've heard from you directly by your spirit, what we've heard from you from the scriptures, what we've heard from you from the music, oh God, let it be so. Lord, I commit this wonderful group of people into your, your care as we soon leave the sanctuary. Take everyone home safely, Lord. Watch over each one. Protect each person and their families. Keep them safe, Lord. And bring, them, bring everyone back safely tomorrow evening. For your honor and your glory, let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.